to. Makes me feel at home. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 15. And as we take a look, it's kind of exciting. I, I, uh, I always enjoy going through the different kings and the different kingdoms. Because when we do it, it's, uh, it's so important for us to recognize the value for us individually. You see, where this is speaking about the history of a nation and how nations, uh, one nation in particular, chose over and over and over again to, though they had an opportunity... Over and over, they would choose to to neglect what God was asking them. Thanks, bro. What God was asking them to do. They would over and over say, you know, nope, I'm going to live by this set of rules over here. And the other kingdom, occasionally, they would make a right choice, and they would live by a different set of rules. And when we we boil it down to the common denominator, what you're going to see is what every man has to choose, and that is you're either going to live by fear or you're going to live by faith. And you can break down every one of these kings in the same way. The kings of the north consistently lived by fear. Afraid that if they lived according to God's ordinance, they would lose their kingdom. Afraid that if they lived the way that God was calling them to live, that they would lose it all. That it would would all cease to be. That they had to, to separate that part of their life. And so... The northern kingdom never did it. The northern kingdom is constantly going to be focused on, you know, doing it in their own strength and power. And as a result, they're going to have a wicked king after wicked king after wicked king who's going to do bad things and cause problems for the people. In the southern kingdom, you're going to see a little bit different thing. See, in the southern kingdom, God is saying to Jerusalem, to that area in Judah, God is saying, because David was so faithful to me. I'm going to keep you no matter what you do. So you see in the north, the example of what happens when man just is left to his own design and has his own plan. And not that they're not successful in worldly terms. Some of those kings are successful. But the, their lives are a mess. The, the whole thing is a mess, constantly a mess. Problems after problems after problems. And, and a rejection, ultimately, to the end, in, in 722, they're going to go into captivity to Assyria. Now, that's several hundred years from where we are right now. So we've we got a ways to go. Tonight, we're going to get to Ahab um, as we go through the kings. But what we're going to see is that choice. I'm, I'm going to live a life separated from God. God's not even really entering into the equation. They've ultimately become, like the 31 empires that was around them when they first came into the land. When they first came into the land, they crossed the Jordan River. There was 31 hostile empires. And God told them to conquer. Remember, we went through that. When we went through the Exodus and we came through them coming into the land. And ultimately, what we see them do is making compromise. Compromising with the enemies, not getting rid of them, not pushing them out. And isn't that exactly what we do in our lives? We know that that God has called us, you and I, all of us, to be holy as He is holy. That our lives should be set apart completely to Him and and surrendered to Him and allow God to rule. And if we do, He promises many, many things that we can't even begin to imagine. I can't tell you how many times Kathy and I have sat in in, in marriage counseling and sat and looked at couples and told them, if you will submit to God, and do this God's way, your marriage is going to be so much better than you can even imagine. 
excuse me, but the struggle is the fear that says, I'm afraid if I do it God's way, nothing's going to change. So ultimately, what happens when we make that choice? Nothing changes. We live our life in fear, which is the opposite of faith, and we see ourselves in that northern kingdom. Maybe moderately successful in life to, to majorly successful in, in worldly terms, but spiritual terms and anything else that matter, chaos. So when we look at those kings, recognize that as we go through. We're going to see a variety of, 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 of uh, degrees between them. You're going to see some guys who don't even try to follow the Lord at all. You're going to see other guys who follow the Lord a little bit, you know, and they things are a little bit better for them in a spiritual sense. Other guys are going to bring revival to a point. And yet other will bring revival all the way to the nth degree, and you'll see the Spirit of God move in the nation in a mighty way. And as we look at that, hopefully our desire is to say, I want to see God move like He moved then, today. Because the Bible tells that God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So, you know, if we want to get down into the words, forever is a long time, means God never changes. The same way he was then, he is now. The same things that pleased him then, please him now. The same things that caused him um, to be uh, uh, angry or uh, to have judgment against his people, the same things that, that caused that problem today. So as we look, we want to have those kind of eyes to recognize that and and. Try to guard against confusion because we're going to bounce from southern kingdom to northern kingdom. And you know, have you ever noticed that when people have twins today, they name them similar? You know, like, I don't even, can't think of, give me two similar names. <coughs> What'd you say? Fred and Frank? I don't know if that's similar enough, but yeah. So you're constantly confused at who's who. Well, just to make it more confusing, the kings sometimes name their children the same name as a king. 20 years earlier. So you're going to talk about Jeroboam 1. You're going to talk about Jeroboam 2. You're going to talk about Abijah and Ahijah. And you're going to think, oh my goodness, those are so confusing and so similar. As we look at them and as we go through them, just try to recognize, was this a guy who submitted to what God wanted to do, who made the choice to live his life by faith? And when they did, what you're going to discover is their kingdoms were long. And you're going to discover that the Spirit of God moved in mighty ways. There's revival among the people. And God did amazing things during those times. And other times it's as though the Lord just gives people what they want. When people don't want God meddling and being a part of their life, you can watch it as we go through 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. He'll just back away and let them do their thing. But that thing always leads to the same place. A lot of chaos, a lot of wars, a lot of fights, a lot of nutty stuff until... A guy comes on the scene who says, I'm going to live my life by faith. Now when we look at the book of Hebrews, we see the book of Hebrews about the same thing. We come to Hebrews chapter 11, and it gives to us the hall of faith. The men and women who made the choice, who said, I'm going to live my life by faith. And it's something that, that God's been laying on my heart for the last uh, several months. And that idea of just living a life that says, I... I am, before I'm anything else, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who also happens to be a contractor or a farmer or whatever other things that we are. And we have to do the things we have to do to live. That's all fine. But how do I define myself? What's the first part of who I am? 
more often we have it backwards. More often we have who, what we do is who we are. And we add Jesus into the equation. And we'll see kings, when they try to do that, they struggle in their reign. And they don't have the same kind of fruitfulness in their life that would come from saying, I'm going to live my life by faith. God says, if I honor him, he's going to do this. Perfect example. When we look at the scripture, the Lord said to the people during the Exodus, he told the children of Israel, on the sixth day, I will give you twice as much manna as you get on any other day. And on the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much and it will keep so that you don't have to go out and gather it on the Sabbath day. And so the sixth day, God would give them double. And this is a training for the children of Israel. Why? Because when they come to the land and the manna stops, God says to them, I want you to work the land for six years. And the sixth year, I'll give you double. And you let the land rest. But when the children of Israel came into the land, they lived their life by fear. The sixth year was good. I can get ahead in the seventh. But God said the rest, the land. When we come to 605 BC, as we go through the first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, we're going to come to the second captivity, the Babylonian captivity, where Judah goes into captivity. And the reason they go into captivity for 70 years is because they never lived as a, as a rule by faith. They never kept the Sabbath year. The land was owed 70 years of rest. So they went into captivity for 70 years. Now, the point being, there are things in God's word for you and I where God says, if you do this, I will do that. And if we can make the choice as, as people who, who believe that the word of God is what it says, and we say, I'm going to live my life by faith, faith and I'm going to apply that principle. God says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, how many things will be added? All. So does that cover most? It <laughs> covers it all. All means all. That's all that all means. So all these other things will be added to you. And specifically in that section of scripture in Matthew chapter 6, what is specifically being talked about is what you wear, where you live, what you eat, what you have. So that covers a lot of things. The Lord says, if you make your relationship with me the priority, seek first me, my kingdom, follow me, live your life, Christian first, that's your identity. I'll give you all the other stuff. You remember when he gave Solomon the blank check, right? And he said to Solomon, I'll give you anything you, that you want. When Solomon said, I want wisdom, did God give it to him? Sure he did. And on top of that, he poured everything else. He poured it, and then when Solomon messed up later on, did God take away the gift he gave him? Nope, he, let, he had it. He had it. The book of Romans tells us the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. That when God calls out a people, calls out a nation, calls out a man, I believe, he's going to see it through. The Lord, he's patient. He'll wait as long as it takes. So we have these promises. Store up for ourselves treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth. He says, because up there they're permanent, down here they're not. I get those backwards. I have treasures I like to store here. 
Since I come to Idaho, I discovered a whole new batch of treasures <coughs> that I like to store here. But the point is, God says to me, store them there. Make this your focus, and I'll take care of the rest. And I want to live my life by faith. So that's the challenge as we look at these kings. As we take a look, beginning in chapter 15 of 1 Kings, at what the Lord has for us tonight, and we take a look at how these kings um, walked with the Lord and the things that they did. That's the challenge. Learn that. That's why God puts it here. Here's the ones who walked by faith. Here's the ones who lived by fear. And see, as you go through, you're going to find certain kings, you're going to say, I want to be like him. I want to be like Asa. I, I, I want to be like, I want to be like Josiah. I want to be like uh, Jehoshaphat. There are certain guys that are going to stick out and you're going to say, man, that's really cool what he did or what he accomplished. And you're going to notice the, the, the common denominator. God was central to everything else he did. And that brought that kind of blessing that I think we're all desiring to see in our life. Well, let's look. Chapter 15, verse 1. says, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, north. In the 18th year, King Jeroboam of Nebat, uh, uh, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king of Judah, that's south. So in the 18th year of Jeroboam, the king in the north, you have Abijam becoming king over Judah in the south. And it says, he reigned three years in Jerusalem. Well, that's a long reign, right? It's not the shortest. Anybody got a guess on what the shortest king reign of a king is? It could come up on Bible trivia if you ever play. Nope, seven days. Seven days. I don't know, even know if you can call, call that a kingdom, but the Bible does. Seven days. We'll see him in a little while. But this guy, three years. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maka, the granddaughter of, of Abishalom. It's another way of saying Absalom. So the granddaughter of Absalom, remember Absalom who raised up in rebellion against David, his granddaughter, who's married, it's her, uh, uh, his granddaughter, Son, his name is Abijam. We're going to see two from her in these next two kings for the south. It says in verse 3, He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. The judgment for God, all the way through, guys. And as we look at a life pleasing to God, and at a life that's not pleasing to God, it's the same way. It's either a sincere and, and whole heartedness toward the lord or a divided heart and if if i'm honest with myself most of the time if i said which am i am i a, a whole sincere heart for the lord or am i a divided heart if i'm honest i'm a divided heart more than i'm i'm whole and sincere which would put me in a category of king i don't want to be god's call in deuteronomy chapter 6 to love the lord your god with how much of your heart all your heart right soul mind strength Jesus repeated the same concept in the New Testament. So we know this is God's desire. And that's what was unique about David. He was wholehearted after God. Not a perfect man. Not about performance. It's about where's my heart? Is my heart divided? Or is my heart singularly toward the Lord? And that is a challenge. That's a challenge for us. To be a man after God's own heart. So we see Abijam. He's not there. So what's that mean? There's going to be no revival in the land. Rehoboam, who was king before Abijam, he introduced all this idolatry, and so the idolatry continues. The same idolatry continues. 
There's unfaithfulness to God, which always, whenever he says his heart's not loyal, or there's unfaithfulness toward God, he's talking about idolatry. It's the worship of other gods. It's the worship, it's putting something else before the Lord. Again, that's another area for, for each of us that is a struggle. We, 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 part of the struggle, to be honest, is the American dream. The American dream says, if I go out and work hard enough, I can make anything of myself. I can become a success. I can take care of my family. I can do all these things. But the American dream is not in the Bible. And in a lot of ways, it's in opposition to what God wants to do. Because who's on the throne in the American dream? I am. Self. That doesn't mean that God won't give me that same success if I put God on the throne. You know what I mean? Because God had, what was Abraham? Abraham wasn't some poor schmuck who didn't have anything. He had all kinds of stuff. God blessed him. God blessed Jacob. Jacob was a snake in the grass. But God blessed him and, and he had all kinds of things. He was very, very successful. Success isn't the way we keep score. Where's the heart? Where's my heart? Is it focused on the Lord? That's our challenge. That's our challenge to be a king like the Lord would have. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. That means God is going to keep the southern kingdom flowing through the line of David. In the north, we had a new guy, right? Not of the line of David. <coughs> and he disobeys God and, and his line's going to be cut off and another guy's going to take over his line's going to be cut off and another guy's going to... There's chaos up there. In the south, it's going to come through the, the lineage of David. It's going to continue for a time at least coming through the lineage of David, coming through the lineage of... So the Lord says, for David's sake, in honor of David... God here, several generations removed. Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijam. We're, we're coming into the fourth generation. The Lord says, I'm, they're, they're, they're wicked. They're disobedient. But I'm still blessing because of David. It's pretty incredible. So how important is it for you as a father to choose to live your life honoring the Lord? Because don't you see the blessing that pours into your family? It could go through several generations and make a difference to your great, great, great grandkid that you won't even see. Because you made a choice, like David. Wholehearted for the Lord. He says, I'm going to give him a lamp in Jerusalem and I'm going to set up his son so that his son uh, after him by establishing Jerusalem. Verse 5. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That's a little addition that the guy writing <coughs> First Kings felt we needed to remember. Just in case everybody forgot David's major faux pas. You know, the, the guy writing First Kings, a lot of people believe it's Jeremiah. He makes sure that we don't forget about that. It says, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now we're talking about Abijam the king who reigned for three years. So when it says Rehoboam, Rehoboam is southern kingdom. It's alphabetical. If you want to know the kings and how to keep them separated, especially the first two, Jeroboam's north, Rehoboam's south. So if the Bible's going to refer to the southern kingdom, even though Abijam is the king, sometimes... It will say Judah and Israel. Sometimes it will say Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam. And, but the point is, 
the north and the south, always fighting. What does it become an example of for you and I? The flesh and the spirit, always at battle. If you want to live your life for God, focus on it. Even though the south's not doing that, they're being blessed by God for David having done that. There's strife between the south and the north. It's always going to be strife between us and the world. If we think somehow, you know, we're going to politically be able to get something on track for our nation, to be able to uh, respect and admire Christians, that goes, flies in the face of what the truth of God's word says. The truth of God's word says the system of this world is always going to be in opposition to Christ. It's always going to be in opposition to what God wants to do. Does that absolve us of what we're supposed to do? No, it just tells us that there's going to be difficulties. That's what it's saying. It's, going to, it's not going to be always easy. But it's going to always be good. So we can be faithful. We can maintain that faithfulness. So choose, walk by faith, wholeheartedly after the Lord. So, verse 7. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam, are they, in all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. Same phrase, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Abijam and, and Jeroboam is the same thing. There was war between the north and the south. So, so Abijam rested with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. Now his grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom. Remember this again, another reference to Absalom. His granddaughter is a mom. Abijam was his brother. His brother never made any changes. He never sought to follow the Lord or, or any of those concepts. He just left everything like it was. And he reigned for three years. His mom, we're going to see, is someone who was really focused on idolatry and worshiping false gods. His brother was a bad king, but Asa, he wanted to follow God. And he's going to make a choice to live by faith and obey the principles that God lays out. It says in verse 11, look at it. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. It's interesting because Jesus, when he talks to the Pharisees, you remember he says, you, you act just like your father. But in that case, they weren't talking about Abraham. Who was he talking about? Your father, the devil, who was a murderer and a liar. Stephen's going to say the same thing in Acts chapter 7 when we look at the, the history uh, as we take a look at it on Sunday morning. And so we're, we're going to follow an example of someone. And prayerfully, man, wouldn't it be great to be following the example of David who what had an undivided heart that God was the main thing and everything else came around that that's what set David apart that's what sets Asa apart you see his brother's reign evil guy doesn't want to do it God's way he lives by fear he he doesn't want to change things up you know so he doesn't change anything how long does he reign three years his brother comes in Changes across the board, not as many as maybe he should have, but changes across the board, he's going to rule for 41. Because the hand of God is on him. God's going to keep the promise he gave. If we'll follow him, if we'll do the things God's calling us to do, he'll keep his promises to us. If we make the choice, I'm going to live by faith. 
I'm going to live by faith. I want to follow in these examples. It says, He banished the perverted persons. Now, a lot of people make a lot of stuff on this. It does include uh, the phrase in the, in the Hebrew is, is uh, Kadesh, I think is how they, how they say it. But the point is, it covers all temple prostitutes, male and female, sodomites and non-sodomites, all in that simple phrase. So what was allowed under the reign of Rehoboam was temple prostitutes in the worship of sex. And sex became something they just practiced however they wanted to. We think we've got a corner on the market in the sexual revolution in the 60s. We didn't start nothing. They were doing that way back then, way more than, than what we see even in our world today. But when Asa comes in, he banishes all those people. If that's who they were, he's like, hey, out. You don't, you're not here no more. Outside the walls. Outside the kingdom. He banishes them all from the land. And look, and removes all the idols that his father had made. So he's talking about Abijam. When it says the fa- his father had made, it's those who came before him. So he's removing the idols of Abijam, Rehoboam, and Solomon. Don't forget him. So he's going to remove the idols. But he falls short. If you look at it, it says he removed all the idols. He also removed Makkah. His grandmother from from being queen mother. (coughs) Excuse me, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it in the brook Kidron. In the Bible, you're going to see these things. And I don't want to get too graphic, but the point is, whenever you hear talk about the groves or these images, they're always talking about phallic symbols, symbols that were carved and that that symbolized an area where they could live in sexual... Uh, non-restraint or whatever their chaos would would ensue in those places so he tears them all down he cuts down the groves he burns them up goes on and says uh asa cut down the obscene image and burned it by the brook kidron but verse 14 but the high places were not removed so he's gonna go he's like the forerunner of josiah who's still a couple hundred years out uh, and and, and um, Jehoshaphat, I, I think, is, is going to come up tonight. He's also going to do uh, similar things to what Asa did. He makes the choice, and he goes a long ways, and he makes a lot of radical reforms, but he stops short of going to the high places. The high places was, on every high hill, or every high place around Jerusalem, there was an altar for worship. Now, in order for God to make sure that there wasn't a lot of error and things going on, the Lord said, bring all your worship here. One place, the tabernacle or the temple at this time. The altar here. Unless the Lord would have them build another altar, we'll see some of that a little later. But for the most part, those high places, they could be used to worship anybody. Any God. Offer any sacrifice to anybody. So he didn't take those down. He didn't take down those fancy altars that people built on hilltops and he left those things. So he has revival. And the nation has a spiritual awakening. But because he doesn't follow it through all the way, it's, it's not going to quite be finished. If you don't obliterate the enemy's ability to infiltrate your life, what do you think is going to happen in the stillness? What, are you gonna, what do you think is going to happen in the peace? He's going to come back in. 
I've seen the same things in my life. At different times, God's called me to cut different things out, but I'll leave a little, a little area, you know, I'll keep, I'll keep a hold of a book. No, who cares? It's not a big deal. It's a book. I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to keep it on my I don't want to throw it away. It's kind of a cool book I like, but I don't read those kind of books anymore. But there, you know, I want to hold on to that book. Then later on, it's going to become a stumbling block. If God has told me, cut it out, it's got to go. It's got to go. And, and it's, a, it's constantly going to be a struggle for you. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. Because I'm not God for you, nor am I your Holy Spirit. But when God tells you, you need to stop this. Listen. Live by faith. If God says to you, I don't want you to drink at all anymore. Who cares that the Bible says it's okay? It stops being okay if God tells you different. Do you understand that? If God puts on your heart for the example of the people around you, I want you to stop drinking. I know a lot of people, I had a young man in California constantly trying to reach out to. He's a believer who was an alcoholic, struggled with alcoholism his whole life. Every time his family got together, they all drank. And they were all frustrated with him because it would get him into another cycle of drunkenness. And I would sit down with him and I'd say, what are you guys doing? Why don't you quit? If your brother is being drugged down by what you're doing, just stop. Well, the Bible says, I'm free. I don't have a problem. It's his problem. (laughs) Now it's your problem. Because that's unloving. That's unloving. When, When the Lord lays something on your heart, it doesn't matter that the Bible gives you freedom. The Bible gives us freedom to be obedient to God. That's the point. So if God lays on our heart something, whatever it is, If you don't hear nothing else I ever say, just hear this. If God puts on your heart to cut something out, cut it out. I don't care what it is. TV, Xbox, computer, it doesn't matter. If God lays on your heart, that's got to go. You're not going to move forward. Not one iota. You're not going to move forward at all in what God wants to do in your life until you are obedient. Just like these kings who chose never to walk with God, you'll stay right there. And nothing will move forward until we let it go. So let it go. He goes all the way, so close, so close, but he stops just shy of of obliterating it all. (laughs) So we see a partial revival in the nation of Israel. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. You remember that Egypt, before Egypt was kind of shaking their sabers at Judah, so Judah cleared out all that gold that Solomon put in there. So all that gold's gone. And gave it to Egypt so Egypt wouldn't go to war against them to buy away their enemy. They just gave them all this gold. Well now, under Asa, they start bringing in the gold, the precious things. What does that symbolize? When, when they took all the precious things of worship and they gave it to pagan people and said, here, don't invade us, what they were saying was, we don't believe God can help us, God can't save us, God's... God's not able to do any of these things, and we despise the worship of him, so take all this stuff we worship him with. And they gave it all away. Now under Asa, they're bringing it back. He's once again bringing the gold and the silver and the things dedicated to the Lord. Now there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. Now, Baasha we're going to be introduced to now. We're looking north. 
Baasha takes, we take a swing north. Now, Asa is going to rule for 41 years. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think Asa is as far as we're going to go. Um, we'll see in a minute. I think Asa is far. We might go just one, one verse about Jehoshaphat, I think. But, but Asa is as far as we're going to go. And we're going to look at six kings from the north. Six kings from the north who will all become king during Asa's reign. While Asa's in the south, revival's happening. The people are getting refocused on the Lord. The north, still in chaos and craziness. So Baasha and Asa, there's still always war between the north and the south. Constantly war between the flesh and the spirit. Between those who want to walk by faith and those who are living their life in fear. Of course, the ones in the north would say they're fearless. But they're not living fearless. They're living in fear. Well, it says in verse 17, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So Baasha, and we'll talk about him in a moment. And Baasha, what he's going to do is he, he, he extends the border of the northern kingdom to hold the people from going to Asa. Asa's got spiritual revival. People in the north are like, wow, you look at the things God's doing in the south. And they're wanting to go. And rather, Baasha, rather than him saying, you know, we should implement some of these things and have a spiritual revival here too as well and watch God move here. He was afraid that if he did that, he would lose his power and his prestige and what he had. So he builds an extended kingdom to try to hold the people back. Not to let the people go to the south. Not to let them go. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And the treasuries in the king's house. And delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tribimam, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Oh, now we come to the, the, the Asa's failure. Asa's is doing good. But remember, he left them high places. He didn't utterly obliterate everything. So when uh, Baasha from the north looks like he's encroaching on the ability of the people to come south, and he's, and he's kind of looks like he might be able to handle uh, uh, Asa, Asa, rather than going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what shall I do? What's going on? Would you direct me? It appears like I'm going to lose this, this deal. He takes the rest of the gold and silver he's got and he buys Syria. He sends it to the king of Syria and he buys them and their army to join him so that the northern kingdom won't come through. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. A lot of times we try to do godly things through our own strength and our own ability. We don't check with God. We don't call on His name. We don't follow His precepts. We just know, I'm in trouble here and I need to do something. And we run to a carnal way of doing it. Now, the Lord could lead you in that same direction, but not after you've done it. Do you know what I mean? If Asa had called on the name of the Lord and the Lord said, take all the gold and silver and go to Ben-Hadad, and hire him. Now you're doing what God wants you to do. But after the fact, you now have moved in a carnal way. Abraham, when he knew that God wanted to give him a son, 
And his wife came to him and said, I'm not going to get pregnant. I'm never going to get pregnant. It's never going to work out. What did she tell him to do? She said, take my handmaid. And so he makes Hagar his wife. And they have a child with him. And we still feel the repercussions of man trying to do what God wanted to do in a carnal way. Because Ishmael and Isaac are still fighting every day on the nightly news. Ishmael and Isaac are still fighting. Ishmael, Syria, and Jordan, and Egypt, and the Muslim Brotherhood, that's all Ishmael. And Israel, that's all Isaac. Still, there's still that battle, there's still that struggle, there's still that fight. Because man tried to do carnally, carnally, rather than saying, Lord, what would you have me do? David, what a great example David is. You remember when we studied David and his son Absalom came against him? You remember what David did? He left. I want you to consider this. And maybe it sounds like a great fairy tale to you, I don't know. But President Obama is in the office and, and the, the President of Mexico comes to war against the United States and he marches into Washington, D.C. and Obama just gets up and says, walks away and says, there, take, it's yours. If God wants you to be president, be it. And he just walks away. You would say, that's the dumbest thing. We've got to go to war. We've got to fight and get our armies and kick their behinds back to wherever they come from. But that's not what David did. David said, if God wants me to be king, even if I walk away, it'll still happen. And what happened? He walked away, and God still kept him king. He cared more about doing things the Lord's way than his own way. So here we see Asa. That's where he falls short. He didn't utterly get rid of all that influence. And, and, and maybe the picture is some of that influence now guides him. He hires out Ben-Hadad. And so he doesn't, he doesn't go as far as he could have gone. So Ben-Hadad in verse 20, he did King Asa, sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Makah, and all Chinneroth, and all the land of Naphtali. And it happened when Baasha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terza. So it stopped what Baasha was trying to do and he had to go back and focus on what the Syrians, how the Syrians were attacking him. So it's the only mar on Asa's career. So overall, it's a good thing. He's a, he's a good king. He seeks the Lord. He has a failure. Um, most of us have at least one of those somewhere in our closet, don't we? One of those times when we should have done things different. Why is it here for us? So we can look at it and say, that's got to remind me that I don't have to do it that way. That I can do it God's way. That I can trust Him. That He's going to do, that He's going to carry me through, that He'll make it happen. <clears throat> Verse 22, Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah, and none was exempted. And they took away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So they tear down this fortress that the one guy was building to extend his kingdom. They tear it down and use it in their own building project. 
The rest of the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. That's only mentioned in Kings. We'll have a Jehoshaphat. When we get to First, Second Chronicles, we'll hear more about what he did. But Jehoshaphat's a good king as well. It says that Asa was diseased in his feet. Now, a lot of people make issue of that because as we work our way through, it seems to be an interesting fact just to throw out there. There's something wrong with his feet. And a lot of guys point to that concept that our walk is going to be affected and we leave the high places and we fight by carnal means. Our walk is going to be affected. He's diseased in his feet. He's, He's a good king. He did good things. But he doesn't possess all that he could have. And for some of us, that, that's exactly the kind of king we are. Good king, good things, good things are happening. But are we possessing everything that God has for us? Are we experiencing everything that God wants for us? His plans for our life, the things that he wants to reveal to us. If we <clears throat> will follow him with that undivided heart, we may see it. Now the writer here does not give us a history of, uh, of uh, Jehoshaphat. Let me just give you a short one. He purged out idolatry, and he sought to teach the people the word of God. And God gave him many victories because he sought the Lord with all his heart. That doesn't tell us nothing about Jehoshaphat. We've got to go to Chronicles for that. If you want to read about it, Second Chronicles 17 through 21. I'm going to deal with Jehoshaphat and the things that he did. Good king sought to teach the people the word of God and, and followed in the example of his father before him. So the southern kingdom, we see some solid... Leadership happening. Not always, but right now, solid leadership. Now we're going to turn to the north. 25. Now now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel for two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Then Baasha, son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Baasha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. So, Baasha, remember I said we'll get to him in a minute. (coughs) He's not of the line of Jeroboam. Nadab is. But you remember the prophet said, that all the line of Jeroboam was going to perish, and that they wouldn't even be able to bury the dead. So we're going to see Baasha fulfill that. Baasha, who's from Issachar, a different tribe, he comes in, and while they're at battle, he kills the king and takes over. And this is the kind of thing you're going to see over and over again in the north. Because they're just going to live for themselves, and for their, their, you, you do what you got to do to get ahead. They're, they're going to have zero godly kings and they're not going to have a revival and they're not ever going to see the hand of God. They're going to move into captivity much sooner, much sooner than the southern kingdom. So, Baasha killed him. And so it was <coughs> when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah, 
the Shonamite, the, the prophet. <laughs> now, all God does is he tells us the end from the beginning. God says, Jeroboam, because you have done this thing, you have chosen a path. It's, it can often be looked at like this. In our lives, there are a, a multitude of choices we can make in any given day. And each choice has with it consequence. And God sees the end from the beginning. When Jeroboam began the choice to lead the people away from God and into idolatry, God said, the road you're on is going to lead to the other destruction of all your family. And that's where it led. That's where that choice took Jeroboam. Now God, as God, could have stopped it all. But God will not violate our will. He will not save someone who doesn't want to be saved. He will not not save someone who wants to be saved. That's scriptural. The same way we see here, this judgment, if you will, coming upon the, the line of Jeroboam is a result, a consequence of the choices that he makes. His family is wiped out. It says in verse 30, Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, and by which he made Israel sin because of his provocation, with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the, king, uh, the kings of Israel? Now, as we consider that concept, I want to remind you, we just talked about the southern kingdom and we had a bad king. And you remember the, the Lord said that he gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. Even though he was a bad guy for his father David, he gave him a lamp. That means he extended grace and mercy. The Bible says, the Lord says, I will give mercy upon whom I will give mercy, compassion on whom I will have compassion. He has compassion on the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom makes their choice, and God says, that's your choice. Your choice is to go away from me, I'll stay out of it. And whenever God stays out of it in our life, it's always bad. That is, don't you see, that is the judgment of God. The judgment of God is not... The, the tornadoes so much and the storms and all the stuff that's going on. The judgment of God is, I'm not a part of your life. I'm out here somewhere. And you're on your own. And that's the judgment that we see <coughs> taking place here in the northern kingdom as we look at the, uh, the family of Jeroboam. Now, it says, And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And in the third year of Asa, <coughs> excuse me, king of Judah, Baasha, son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel and reigned for 24 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. What's that mean? It means he continued to follow in idolatry, didn't care about the things of God. Ultimately, we're going to discover in the northern kingdom, they utterly lose all understanding of the word. This is the 12 tribes who, who crossed the Red Sea together, who saw the miracles of God in the wilderness, who, who heard the voice of God when he spoke the, the Ten Commandments, <coughs> who went through all these incredible things. <clears throat> and as we look, we're going to see them utterly lose all concept of the Word. They're not going to know the Bible. They're not going to know what God did for them before. They utterly lose it all. And that's why it's going to be so radical when the revivals come through in the southern kingdom because it's going to give uh, um, opportunity to the north to hear something they haven't heard because they lost contact with it. 
That's what's happening right now. As Baasha rules, 20 years, nobody's opening up a scroll of the word and reading it. It doesn't take very long for, for the people to lose it. It says, And the word of the Lord in chapter 16 came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, Surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of your house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So again, we have the prophet bringing the word of God to the north. This is a pattern that you're going to see over and over and over again. The people don't know who God is. They lose contact with God. So what is God? Does he just write them off? He sends his prophet. And his prophet comes and he says, You're off track. God made you king. Over Jeroboam, we know that because Ahijah the prophet said that God was going to remove Jeroboam. He removed Jeroboam, Baasha comes up in his place. God says, now you do right. Now Baasha doesn't do right. He does just like Jeroboam. He chooses to live his life in fear, not in faith, not following God's principles, not even really caring about any of God's principles. And so the same judgment that God brought against Jeroboam is going to bring against Baasha. Why? Baasha took the same road. Listen, if we go out here, you go up, I say, come up to my house and make a left on 3900. But you decide you're going to make a right on 3900 because you know what you're doing and you're just going to go your own way. You drive as far as you can on that section of 3900, you are eventually going to get wet because you're going to come a deep creek and there is no bridge. And you're not getting across. I don't care what you got. You will be stuck because you went the wrong way. Now, let's say I invited you up and you came and you turned right and you drove down in a ditch. And then after you, somebody else called and said, Jack, I want to come to your house. I said, oh, come up 3900, turn left. But they come up 3900, turn right. Where are they going to end up? So everybody who does that and takes that road, where are they going to end up? In the creek. Everybody who follows Jeroboam, where are they going to end up? The same place Jeroboam ended up. This is, a, this is a law, guys. This is not like I can find my own way. I can make my own way. I can, I can overcome the odds. If I go the way of Jeroboam, I'm going to end up in the same pit Jeroboam ended up in. Period. And that's what we see tapping, happening here with Baasha. It says in verse 4, The dogs will eat whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city. And the birds of the air will eat whoever dies in the fields. This is exactly the same prophecy Ahijah brought to Jeroboam. Exactly the same. Why? Because he's on the same exact road. <laughs> now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Baasha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, uh, the son of Hanani against Baasha and his house, because all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger with the work of his hands and in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Terzah. What do we see? The prophet is still reaching out. The prophet is still, what's he saying? We look at it and we think, oh, this is strange language, this idea of, you know, what's happening. All he's giving them is directions. You stay on this road, 
The dogs are going to eat the people who die in the city, and the birds are going to eat the people who die in the field. If I continue down that road, whose fault is it when the dogs eat the flesh of my sons and daughters? It's mine. I heard where the road goes. That's what the prophets were doing in the Old Testament. They're saying, this is the road you're on. There's opportunity for repentance to change your direction, right? But there's a hardness of heart that takes place and they don't change. Well, it says, as we continue, now the, his servant, Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terza. So, we have the king, Elav, uh, the son of, of Baasha. He's partying and he gets, he's getting wasted. And one of the commanders of his chariots decides, perfect opportunity to become king. And so, Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. You see the chaos in the north? All this is happening while Asa has revival in the south. Where do you want to be? In the north or in the south? You want to be where the Spirit of God is moving or you want to be where the Spirit of God is squelched utterly. So Zimri becomes the king. And it came to pass when he began to reign that as soon as he was seated on his throne that he killed all the household of Baasha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. You ever heard that old phrase, you know, it, what goes around comes around? So you remember what Baasha did to Jeroboam, right? Zimri does the same thing to him. Jesus said it this way. He who lives by the sword, what? Dies by the sword. If you're going to live focused on carnal means of living your life, then carnal means of life is what's going to come to roost. Whatsoever a man sows, how's it go? That is what he's going to reap. And so that's what we see taking place right here. He's reaping what is sown. And so it says thus in verse 12, Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah's son by which they had sinned, and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. In the 27th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Tirzah seven days. So here's your biblical trivia answer. If you ever get stuck tr playing Bible trivia. And they say the shortest reign of a king. Now you have it. It says, and the people were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and has killed the king. So all of Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, the king over Israel that day in the camp. And Omri and all Israel with him went up to Gibbethon and they besieged Tirzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down with himself with fire and died. He ruled for seven days. The people utterly reject him and put somebody else on the throne, the commander of the army. <clears throat> so he lights his house on fire and burns down in it. 
seems like at least a hundred better ways to do that, but that's the way of Zimri. And so it says in verse 19, because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he had committed to make Israel sin. He's talking about Zimri, a king who reigned how long? And he's holding him just as responsible as Jeroboam. The word of God tells us that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and compassion on whom he will have compassion. How long does he have to give you grace? He's God, right? He can give it to you for 20 years or seven days. It does not change your responsibility to God. That's why the Bible says, when is the day of salvation? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't wait for tomorrow. You may never get tomorrow. This may be it. Remember the story Jesus told of the man who had the, all the harvest come through and he couldn't even hold it in his barns. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns. And then after I have you know, one more great year, I'll take it easy. And Jesus said, you fool. Time's up. It's over. It's over. Same way. Zimri rules for seven days. And God says, and he followed the same road as Jeroboam, and he didn't make any changes, and he didn't have in his heart to do anything different, and he would, took the kingdom the same way. How did Baasha get the kingdom? He murdered the king. How did he get the kingdom? He murdered the king. We're going to see this. The, God doesn't honor that. He's not going to say, hey, good job. You murdered the king. Way to go. Oh, I'm going to establish you. <laughs> That's not what he's going to do. And now we come to Omri, who was the leader of the army. He now is ruling as king. So it says in verse 21, And the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the, fe- half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Gibnath, uh, to make him king, and half followed Omri. So you have the north and the south, and now in the north, they're dividing even more. But don't worry, it's not going to stay that way. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, son of Gibnath, so Tibni died, and Omni reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria, from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he built on the hill and named the name of the city which he built Samaria. So this is where we find the establishing of the city of Samaria, same Samaria at the time of Christ. The place where the the people are going to live whose worship is all corrupted. Remember Jeroboam, he just mixed up paganism into Judaism and got it all confusing, and he brought that in. It's going to be focused there in Samaria. When the time of the captivity happens and the people come back to the land, they're going to want to help build the temple. They're going to be rejected because they're half-breeds and the people look down on them. So they go and build their own temple. And their temple is still there. You go to Samaria today, you can see their temple. Where they still today sacrifice. So if you want to see, there's actually a movie out called The Sacrifice, which, which uh, gives you an opportunity to see what that sacrifice looked like. Admittedly, it's corrupted. 
but it gives you some sense of of what the sacrifice of the of the lambs was like at Passover time and and how they would do it. So <clears throat> we see the beginning of that here under Omri. It says, Now Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. So he's the worst one so far until we get to his kid. His kid, you're going to recognize his name, right? Omri did evil and he did worse than all those. For he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, by which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his place. Oh, Ahab. Hey, that should bring up to mind a couple of prophets we're going to start to see now. Uh, as we see God continuing to reach out to the northern kingdom and say hey guys you're way off track you're way off track we're going to see uh, elijah and elisha during the reign of ahab the in the 38th year of asa king of judah ahab the son of omri became king over israel so you see what i'm talking about what's still happening as we've gone through all these kings revival in the south chaos in the north as we kind of consider and we wrap up tonight, I just want you to really grab a hold of that concept because the same is true in our individual lives. If we want to experience the revival of the South, all we have to choose is to live our life by faith and say, I'm going to follow God's precepts first. This is going to be my focus. This is who I am. Or we can have the Northern Kingdom's chaos. The Southern Kingdom's blessing. The Northern Kingdom's chaos is going to be our choice. What do we want? What are we going to have? What are we going to experience? <laughs> well, the scripture goes on to tell us. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. This is going to become a common phrase in Kings. Everybody's got to be worse than the guy before. And Ahab's no different. It came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. The daughter of Ethbaal, she is like a high priestess of Baal worship. And she's going to become the central figure of religion now in the north. Rather than being a mixture, it's going to turn totally to Baal worship. Totally pagan under Jezebel. Jezebel is going to become a symbol that we'll read later on in the book of Revelation. And become, become a, a symbol for that same concept. The idea of the woman who rides the beast. False religious system uh, in opposition to the ways of God. So, this is where he went and what he did. It says, then they set up an altar for Baal. In the, and in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And they have made a, woman, a wooden image. And they have did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, and he laid its foundation with Abiram his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Interesting way to tie up that chapter, what's being said. He builds Jericho under the reign of Ahab and all this pagan worship that had come in, and they begin sacrificing their children. When it says he laid the foundation with his 
his firstborn. It means he buried his firstborn in the foundation. He sacrificed his son, his child. He killed him and buried him in the, in the foundation of his home to ask God to bless what he was doing. And when it says he laid the gates with his youngest, Segub, he took his, his youngest child and killed him and sacrificed him for blessing to be upon his house. That's going to become a mark of what's happening in the north. God, through the prophets, is going to say, man, this never even entered into my mind that you guys would get this far down. God's using what's called an anthropomorphism, a, a human emotion to describe his disappointment with what men were doing and the choices that man was making and, and the, the decline. Six kings, all during revival in the south. And it, it ties up, it doesn't stop, but it ties up with the beginning of, of child sacrifices to happen there in the north. That won't be the end of it. It won't be the last of it. We'll see more of it. But as we look at it, we might think that's somewhat barbaric, but still today people sacrifice their children for blessing on their house. It's a bad time for me right now. You know, I'm not ready to have a child. And I can just go to a doctor and it all goes away. I've been there. You know anything about my story? I've been in them offices twice in my life. I get to deal with the, the I don't know, grief, pain, heartache of making a choice to end a child's life twice because it made my life easier. While I was sideways with Kathy. And you think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Well, good, you're in the exact same place I was in. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. You can find yourself on that road. You leave a little bit. You leave a high place. You leave some area in your life where the enemy can get a foothold, and you can be there. Whole time in high school, I wrote paper after paper after paper of the evils of abortion. I would be in the debates. I was always the preacher's kid. They picked me to to give the reason why abortion was bad. Yet, five, seven years later, I'm in the office doing them. Allowing them to be done. How do you get there? You live your life in fear. Instead of by faith. I don't know how different my life would be. If I had took a different road. But if I'm going to take the road to Jeroboam. It's going to end with the death of my kids. And that's where it went. That's why it's important as we look at this. And we see the, the kings and the choices that they make. We don't, I don't know, maybe some of us will. But most of us aren't going to run a nation. But we are going to make choices of who sits in the throne of our life. Who rules? Who's our king? And we can choose to learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us and say, I don't want to be there. Now praise God. <coughs> Why am I here? Because he offers forgiveness and grace and he, and he gives us the opportunity to have a, a, a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. He gives us those opportunities. Mercies are new every morning. He's a good and glorious God who extends an opportunity if we'll make repentance, if we'll change our path and our direction, our life ends up somewhere else. 
My life does not resemble today what it did 20 years ago. At all. Remotely. And yet there are still areas of my life where God will whisper in my ear and say, Jackie, that's a high place and you better tear it down. And if I leave it, I might end up like Asa. I won't experience, I won't have as much as I could have had in the kingdom of God than if I had just burned it down. But it's not that far, guys, from the north to the south. It's not that far. You can go from one to the other just like that. It's quick. Unless we choose, and we've got to choose daily, faith or fear. How are you going to live? Faith or fear. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time studying these chapters in Kings, Lord, and the things that you reveal in your word, God. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would just make that decision. It's, it's the easy part, I know, the decision that says I'll live by faith. The hard part is what comes after. <coughs> But God, it's got to start somewhere. We've got to make a choice at some point that says, yes, I'm going to live my life by faith today. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to try to use a carnal weapons to accomplish means or manipulation to get God to do what I want him to do. I'm going to follow him. What does he have for me today? <clears throat> Where is he leading and trusting in his empowering to get it done? God, I pray we make that choice. Because it's that easy to enter into a time of revival, the outpouring of your spirit, and amazing things happening. For 41 years, man, the South was blessed. And revival and people are just coming to know God in droves and God's doing great things. But in the North, they're starting to sacrifice their babies. That's how it happens. The things the enemy can get us to do, we can't even imagine. If we start to walk the path of Jeroboam. If we start to walk that road, it goes off the edge of a cliff and then you're falling. And only God can save. Lord, I pray that we would make that choice. God, we would make that choice. It says, I live my life by faith. I live my life by faith. I choose. I choose to be known first and foremost as a child of the king. As a servant of the Lord God Most High. As a slave by choice. <clears throat> and then I am everything else. And Lord I pray. Establish us in those decisions that we make. And be glorified in them. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You ate them all again? Sorry, guys, we're going to have a time of fellowship next door. We're going to close out in a word of worship. We invite you to worship.